Well, we are in our fourth part of our series on the Lord's Prayer. And I want to begin, since this is the week of 4th of July, telling you a story. In 18, excuse me, 1787, our founding fathers gathered in a convention to write what they wanted to be the guiding principles, the guiding document for our country, the Constitution. And they reached a place where they were stuck, where they they weren't in agreement and they couldn't move forward on what they were doing. And an elder statesman stood up, a man with gray flowing hair, round um, spectacles, and a very prominent voice. His name was Benjamin Franklin. And he stood up and reminded them what God had done in, their, in the war against Great Britain, how they had prayed daily for his hand of protection and, and success upon them, and how this new country was formed that they believed was an answer to prayer. And so he said to them, this, this audience of leaders, these words, have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? They recessed and came back a few weeks later, and they were able to put together this document called our United States Constitution that's become the longest-standing charter of any government in the history of the world. And this Tuesday, we celebrate 241 years of freedom. But don't, don't, don't miss this point. Prayer has been a part of this nation's backbone since the beginning. And people may tell you that we're not a religious country and we don't favor a, a religion. Uh, we don't favor a denomination. But there's always been a belief in the one true God and a trust in his name of many of our leaders. And we need to learn the value of prayer. And that's why we, like the disciples, are, are asking the Lord, teach us, Lord, to pray. See, the disciples watched Jesus pray. He'd go off in the hills early in the day or in the middle of the day, and he would just escape and start talking to God. And they, they recognized the fact that he had a relationship with God. He had a way of conversing with God that was different than theirs. And so they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus responded by giving him what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Now, we call it the Lord's Prayer. I call it the people's prayer because it's a prayer model for us. And we've been walking through that to learn how to pray. I, I've learned to pray since I was you know, a, a little child. And my mom taught me to pray. And all through the years, I've learned from various people to pray. But I want to learn from Jesus the secrets of prayer. And I think there are some things in here that are very amazing. For example, we learned that, that, that the prayer starts like this. Here's, here's, here's the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that flows off pretty fast off our lips, but just think about that. First thing he says to do is come into the presence of the Father. There is only one God who can hear prayers. There is only one God in the universe who can respond to prayers. That is the God of Scripture, the Father of Jesus Christ. Jesus says you can call him your Father too. And he lives in heaven where all the resources, all the powerful angels of heaven are available at his beckoning. So we call upon him. We enter into the presence. We, we hallow his name. There is no name like our God. It's a beautiful name. It's a wonderful name. It's a powerful name. And we enter into his presence recognizing that our God is so great, so, so powerful, so good that he can handle these requests that I have before him. Secondly, we learned last week that when we come into his presence, we, we surrender ourselves to his will. That in the midst of our prayers, we, we always acknowledge his agenda is more important than our agenda. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth starting with me. And so we surrender ourselves. God, I want your will more than anything else. 
And when you begin prayer acknowledging God and who he is, how powerful he is, and then, and then commit yourself and your heart, say, I, I want more than anything your will to be done, then you get to the place where you can ask God for things. And we're going to look at three requests today and the next two weeks. We'll take one of those each week. The first request is found in verse 11 where Jesus said this, give us this day our daily bread. Very short little prayer, but a very powerful prayer, kind of a puzzling request in a way. In fact, I want to break it down into some segments and raise some questions that I think, at least I asked when I read through that verse. It starts off with these two little words, give us, give us. I knew a man at a church that I served at when I was in Bible college. He was an older man. He was a, a widower. And he said he never asked God for anything. He always just thanked God in his prayers. And I admired him for that because he felt like God had given him so much that he, that he really didn't have the right to ask him for any more. He should be content with what he had. And while I admired um, that kind of appreciation, I questioned his logic Because we don't avoid asking God for things because he's given us so much. We actually ask God for things because we need so much. Now, let me explain that. If you you have physical needs, and maybe you're someone who has to see the doctor on a regular basis because you have an illness or a physical condition that requires you to go back again and again. Do you ever reach a point where you say, you know what, I can't go back to that doctor. I, I saw him six times last year, and he's going to get tired of seeing me. He's done so much for me. I mean, I can't really ask him for anything more. Or do you say, you know what, I need to see my doctor. And when you walk in there, does the doctor say, hey, you know what, I, I've given you so much. I need to spread it out to other people. Don't come and see me anymore. No, he says, I'm here to serve you. That's why I exist. I'm here to help meet your need. It's the needs that drive us to ask. And so Jesus says that we can ask. It's okay to ask. It's just not the place where we start. We just don't start with asking. Requests follow adoration and the commitment to do God's will. So when you you focus on God, your attention is on him, and then you're committed to do his will, then it seems very appropriate to ask him for the things that you need in order to accomplish his will in your life. If you don't do that, if all you do is come to God and ask, 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 every time you come, God, I need this, I want this, could you do this? It's kind of like having a friend that's always asking you for a favor, always asking for a few bucks, always asking if you could give them a ride, always asking for your opinion, and all they do is, is drain you. And over a period of time, you feel like, you know what, I, uh, that's not a real friendship. I'm your vending machine. I'm just a dispenser of good things for you. God doesn't want to be a vending machine, someone we just ask for things from. God wants to have a relationship with us. I compare it to a general contractor, that's God, and we are like the subcontractors. So God has a project. He's building his kingdom. Jesus said, I will build my church. So he's building this this big thing called his kingdom. And he says, I want you to help me do that. So you're going to have a part of it. You're going to be one of my subcontractors. Now, is it appropriate for the subcontractor to go to the general contractor with questions? Of course. He may go to him and say, you know what? Is this really what the plans require? Is this the way I'm supposed to do it? Does this sound right? Or I made a mistake. Will you give me grace for that? Or this part of the project is going to cost more than, than what you projected So can I ask for more money so we can do it right? I mean, any general contractor would say those are very appropriate questions because they're going to help you do the job well and succeed. And when you succeed, I succeed. 
So when you commit yourself to doing God's will, and you say, God, you know, I could do your will better if I were healthier, if, if I could get an education, if I had this opportunity, if I had this resource. You know, if it's truly for the purpose of building God's kingdom, I can easily see God saying, that is awesome. I want to see you do that. And you have the will to do it. I will resource you. I will enable you to do it. I will give you what you ask for because he wants us to succeed. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, just a little bit further along in the same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Ask, he says. Asking is okay. Asking is a significant part of prayer. We just don't start there. Now, a little bit later in the same um, conversation on prayer, starting with verse 9, Jesus said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Do any of your kids ever ask for a fish? Come on, really? Dad, can I have a fish? Not to eat anyway, maybe in an aquarium, but they don't ask for things like that. But in those days, that's, that's a piece of food, that's nice. Dad's not going to give him a snake when he asks for a fish. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So I've shared before, my dad was not a godly man. He wasn't a Christian. And there are occasions where dad would call us kids out into the kitchen and he would, op- he, he would open up some treat. Maybe it was Schwann's ice cream that he just got from the, tri- from the truck that came in the neighborhood. Or maybe it was those cinnamon gummy bears, you know, those big cinnamon gummy bears. And, and you know, we'd go, dad, you're the greatest. You know, dad, 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 though he was evil, gave good gifts to his kids. And so Jesus contrasts this. If human dads who aren't perfect know how to bless their children, how much more will your perfect heavenly father give to his children? Jesus is trying to tell you, it's okay to ask your father for things and for good things. Now, sometimes we hesitate saying, well, I don't know. It just seems selfish to ask for things, and I don't know if I'm worthy to receive it. You are never worthy to receive it, to be honest. If you think you have to be good enough to earn it, it's a wage. It's not a gift. If you are earning it, if you're being good enough to get it, it's a wage. It's owed you, but it's not a gift. A gift is given to those, even those that don't deserve it. So we don't come because we're good. We come because God is good, because God is gracious. Now, I I would admit that if you're walking in disobedience, it's not a good time to come to God and ask for things until you get that turned around. Because God's not going to give you what's going to enable you to disobey him even more. But if your heart is to please him, he is able to give you what you need, whether that is big or little. There's no need too great and no need too small. See, sometimes we think, well, I can't ask that from God. It's just too big. It's, it's, It's too impossible. It could never happen. Or... Or, or it's too small. It, it's beneath God. God wouldn't want to pay attention to that little thing. Now, I've learned over my life, over the years, that God cares about the little things. There are many things in my life that I would consider little, and maybe you'd probably say, Pastor, that's really little. You, know, you should have handled that on your own. But, you know, I get to where I'm stuck. Like, there are times when I've misplaced things, like keys and, and checks and bills and cell phones, any of you can relate? Is this a guy thing or just a girl thing too? You know, and it feels so, I feel so dumb. I mean, have you seen my car keys? Where, didn't you put them back where you're supposed to? No, if they were there, I wouldn't be asking you. You know, and so looking all around, you know, or your cell phone, you go, where did I put that thing? And I can't call it to hear because I don't have it. 
So you just feel dumb. You know, I should have known better. And you get yourself in a, in a bind. There was a time on a vacation about a year and a half ago. We were, we were at the ocean. I got up in the morning, beautiful morning, and I was strolling along the beach looking at shells and rocks. And I'd go out in the water. You could actually go out for a great distance, and the water was only up to here or up to here. So um, I climbed over some dead trees. I climbed under some branches. And I've been walking back and forth on this beach for an hour or so. And then my wife comes out. She wakes up a little later than I do in the morning. She comes out to check on me, and I'm out waiting in the water, and I'm out to about here, 20, 30 yards out into the water, and uh, I come back into shore, and for some reason when I get in back into shore, I just check my pocket where I had my car key, and it's not there. I went, honey, the car key's gone. She said, where'd you drop it? <laughs> if I knew where I dropped it, I wouldn't be looking for it. So she said, where have you been? I said, all over. I said, I went way down there about a quarter mile and over this way, you know, another quarter mile. And I said, ah. and then I went out in the water over there and I've been for the last, you know, 15 minutes out waiting out here in the water looking for fish. And, and I said, you know, we need to pray we find that because this is going to ruin our vacation if we don't have this car key. I don't know how to even replace a, a rental key for a car or how long it would take to get replaced. So um, she decides, well, after we pray, I'm going to go out there and look where you just were. Because I had no clue where it could be anywhere. So she goes out there, and there's rocks about this big all over. It's not like a beach. There's just rocks everywhere. So she's walking on these rocks, and I thought, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. And sure enough, she came across the needle, and she's found something colorful, reached down, and sure enough, that was the car key. And says, is this it? I said, that's it, baby, that's it. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah. And some of you may think, oh, she just got lucky. You may think what you want. There have been so many times in my life See, I've learned this. Things that are lost to me aren't lost to God because he knows exactly where they are. So I figured, if God knows exactly where it is, why don't I ask him to show me? And, and so often, I could tell you all kinds of stories where, where I found things that I just couldn't find. I wasn't looking in the right place. And God caused my steps to go in the right place. There's nothing too small. In fact, Jesus said this about little things in Luke chapter 12, verse 7. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. A sparrow's a tiny bird. And, and Jesus said, your father says you're more valuable than those, though he takes care of them. And he, and he actually knows the details of your life down to the number of hairs on your head. God loves you so much, he counts the hairs on your head. Now, some of you in this room are far more loved than others. <laughs> If, if, there's, if there's a man with less hair next to you, just give him a hug and say, I love you. I love you. Hairs on the arm probably two count, so those count too. God, God loves the little, the little things about life. He knows our needs. But he also cares about the big things. I think some of us are afraid to ask God for big things, great things. But, you know, again, think of that contractor. If you, if you came to God and said, God, wouldn't it be great if we tiled the entryway instead of, instead of used linoleum, you know, that would cost more. He goes, I know, but wouldn't it be fantastic for this family, raise the value of the house? And he's, I, I think I like it. Go do it. What if we came to God and said, God, what if, what if I started a ministry that did this? God, what if, what if I gave to this ministry for you? God, what if I stepped out and began serving this way? What, wouldn't that be awesome for your kingdom? See, God loves big, bold prayers. In the 1800s, there was a pastor in England named George Mueller. And George Mueller was discouraged about the lack of faith in the churches 
in that region. And he came across a verse one day. It's found in Psalm 81, verse 10. Little, little passage tucked away. You probably read it and just zipped right past it. But here's what the verse says. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And that verse just grabbed him. Because he remembered when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and he was leading them to the promised land, a, plan, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of abundance. And God had planned to give them so many blessings. And in this psalm, it says this, if you would open up wide your mouth, I would fill it. In other words, you've got to be willing to receive what I have to give. See, what this verse is telling me is this. God's ability to give to you and me is restricted by our willingness to receive. And if you only open your mouth a little bit, that's all you're going to get. If you open your mouth wide, he says, I can fill that. And some of you have bigger mouths than others, spiritually speaking. (laughs) Bigger mouths of faith. You ask for bolder things. You ask for bigger things, and God does, and people go back, oh, you're just lucky. You're, God loves you more than me. No, I just opened my mouth bigger. God loves us to do that. Over the course of his ministry, George Mueller decided to do this. He wasn't going to tell anybody what his needs were except God because he wanted it to be very clear that if something is to be done miraculously, it would only be explained by the hand of God. And there were times during, as he, he began to open up these orphanages for children, that he would have needs. He would just pray. And kind of miraculously, sometimes at the very last minute, God would show up. There are times they were sitting, waiting for food to be served, and they had no food to serve them. And then the kids would sit down, and a truck would pull up. And they would have food for the kids. Time after time, these miraculous things happened. And over the course of his life, he built four orphanages that housed over 10,000 children over the course of his life. There were 2,000 at one time in all of those houses. Now, in the 1800s, this was a phenomenal amount of money. He was given, in answer to prayer, $8 million to distribute to the needs of the ministry. And George Mueller wrote a book on prayer in which he said this, nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. See, if you'd ask George Mueller, what's the secret to answered prayer? He would say this, once you commit to do whatever God tells you to do, it's pretty much a done deal. of the barriers are overcome at that point. That's why it's so critical to say, your will be done. And when you do that, then ask God. Little things, big things, or or big things. And then he says, give us this day. This day. Think about that. That's all that matters is this day? What about tomorrow? What about the next day? What about the, the future? Doesn't God care about those days as well? Yes, he does, but he only promises us today. He says, be careful of all your plans, the book of James says. Be careful of all the plans you make. Tomorrow we're going to go do this, and someday we're going to do that. You have no clue that you're going to be able to do that. We have no promise we're going to live tomorrow. We have to live in today. You may have heard the phrase, today is God's gift to you. That's why it's called the present. You know, take it like like a gift from God. Treat it as a gift and live fully in it. Be, Be mindful of the future, anticipate the future, but live in the present. Jesus uses this word daily bread, I believe, as a reference to the Old Testament when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and every day God would provide them bread from heaven. It was called manna. And every morning they would get up and they would gather manna. It was just enough for what they needed that day. If they gathered more than they needed, it would spoil. 
They never had too little. They never had too much. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much so they wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath to gather because God didn't provide on that day. And so God wanted to teach them. You might remember this phrase. God did this so that they would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He was telling them, I can give you bread, but what I'm telling you is trust me always. Trust me every day. Trust my promises. Trust my word. I will take care of you. In Proverbs, there's a beautiful little prayer uh, given by this man named Agur. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of my God. He says, God, just give me enough for today. Just give me enough for today. Because if I get too much, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to stop praying. I'm going to say, who are you? Because I've got everything I need. And you know what? That's so true. When, when Julie and I were young and married and raising our family, there were times when we prayed for clothing. We prayed for food. We prayed for cars. We prayed for basic needs in our lives. And I, I can honestly say, I cannot remember the last time I prayed for food. Because my refrigerator's got food in it. My pantry's got food in it. My freezer's got food in it. And, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. The bad thing is this. The temptation is not to rely on the Lord. Not to acknowledge that he's the source of everything that you have. And that's the danger. We start to drift saying, you know, I don't need God. I did it myself. I, I've got money in the bank. I've got my retirement covered. I, I've, got, I've got good health. I go to the gym. I don't need to pray about, about these things to God. That's a dangerous place to be. It's also dangerous to live in poverty because the fear is if I don't have those things that are essential for life, I may resort to criminal activity. I may steal from others to get what I need for my family. God wants to give us things, but he wants our security to be in him, not in the things that he gives. He doesn't want us to trust in our bank accounts, in our, in our pantries, in our closets. He wants us to trust in him. That's why when you see people who win the lottery or receive a large inheritance, Almost always, they, they go down a spiral of self-destruction because they can't handle that much stuff. It's too much stuff. You don't need to pray when you have more clothing, more food, more house than you need. It can be dangerous. We have some relatives that retired uh, last year, last May, a year ago in May, and they decided they are going to do something pretty adventurous. They sold their house. They gave away all their furniture almost all of their belongings, except each of them were allowed to fill one suitcase with clothing. And they put some valuables uh, in, a, in a storage area. So he has one filing cabinet with, with the documents, and, and she has one place where she stores some of her artwork. But other than that, they're living very simply. And I, I saw this couple last year. They were going to try this for, for two years. So it's a two-year experience. They've been traveling around visiting relatives, visiting missionaries, going all over the world. And I asked him, asked him how it's been. He said, you know, Darren, he says, I've, I've realized two things. One is that my wife's suitcase has gotten to be very heavy. <laughs> she keeps packing more and more stuff in that suitcase. Can you imagine <laughs> having a conversation with your spouse? Okay, honey, here's your suitcase. Look at all that stuff in the closet, and you get to put whatever you can, and, and that's it. Everything else is going to, to other people or goodwill. I mean, some of you could fill two suitcases with shoes. Three. Four, okay? Do I hear five? Husbands, help me. Anyway. So, but, but they're doing this. And then he said this. This was the most important thing. He said, we feel so free. 
We feel so unencumbered by the stuff we've accumulated. See, we don't realize how much we become enslaved to the possessions that we have. There's a danger. God wants us to have our confidence in him. That's why Jesus said, just after these verses on prayer, if we go down to Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, the food, the clothing, the shelter, all these things will be given to you as well. Keep your priority God, not the stuff. Focus on him, not your needs. He'll take care of them. Seek first for his kingdom to reign in your life, for him to be king of your life, and all these things will be taken care of. Give us this day, and then it ends with these words, our daily bread. Bread. Is that it? Is that all we get to ask for is bread? I mean, I like bread. And I've, but as I've gotten older, I realize not all bread's good for you. In fact, a lot of us are cutting bread out of our lives, so that doesn't give us much to pray for, does it? But what about meat? How about, can I pray for a steak? Can I pray for vegetables? How about muffins? Do they kind of count as bread, kind of? You know, what can we ask for? Does it mean literally bread? Well, I'm here to tell you, no. It's, it's just a word to cover the basic necessities of life. Like Baloo in the, the Jungle Book, the simple bare necessities. So that, that's what they are, the, the basics of life, the essentials of life. That's what daily bread refers to. What are those? Well, help me. What would you say is a basic need of life? Shelter. Water. Love. What? Love. Love? Jesus, air, air. Got a shelter. Nobody said food. It's almost, it's almost, it's 12 o'clock. You guys should be hungry. <laughs> food. Okay, transportation might be one. A job may be one. There may be some things like, like love and hope. You know, you need hope to make it through life. There are some basic things. We call those needs. They're different from wants. Needs are things that are essential that if you don't get them, you could die. Wants are things that make life more comfortable, make it a little easier, but they're not needs. And our culture has made a a real fuzzy distinction between the two because oftentimes the things that we want, we think we need. If you have a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. I need a cell phone. I need a car. I I think back to, to many of us when we were very little, and you may have grown up in a home without an automatic dishwasher, without cable or internet, with no cell phones, with no air conditioning. And how in the world did you live? Oh, man, how did we make it? I mean, we didn't know what we were missing because it hadn't been invented yet or we couldn't afford it yet. But, but all these things that have been added that we kind of think we need weren't needed back then. You could still survive. So it's real fuzzy. And I'm not telling you what your needs are. I'm just saying it's very easy for us to think wants are our needs. But the needs are the very basic necessities for survival. You do not need Starbucks coffee today. You may want Starbucks coffee, but you don't need it, okay? In Philippians 4, verse 19, Paul, who's writing from prison, wrote from his personal experience of God's faithfulness. He says, And my God, he will meet all your needs according to his riches of glory in Christ Jesus. Here's what you can count on. And I, I can testify to that. That has been one of those verses I learned in high school. I've held on to my whole life. God, you promised to meet my needs. 
And I can say all through college when I needed money, when I needed work, when I needed clothing. I mean, I, I could go into a lot of stories where, where God provided in sometimes almost miraculous ways where a car battery shows up at my doorstep or clothing is given to me of some businessman who said he got tired of wearing these Oxford shirts and all these things that were kind of passed down. I said, God, you provided so much for me. You provided the means to be healthy. You provided homes, cars, a great job that I get to come to every week, a, a, a job that I love, a wife that I love even more. You've given all those things to me. I am so grateful for the things you've given. When you seek first his kingdom, he will meet your needs. And sometimes he'll go beyond that. He'll do even more. That's one of the beautiful things of walking with the Lord is, is God sometimes blows our socks off with a blessing that we didn't even ask for. Maybe it was a better job than you bargained for. Better wife or husband you ever thought you could get. Uh, a better bonus than you thought was coming. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God is able to take your request and say, I can, I'm going to top that. I can go above it. I can do immeasurably more than that. But here's the secret. If you don't ask, how can he go above it? If you, the Bible even says, you do not have because you do not ask. So we come before God asking for things, and God says, I love that. You want this? I'm going to get it to you, but I'm going to actually go up here and give you something even better than what you're asking for because I love you that much. God is able. Now, I can't promise he will always do that. Sometimes God, God keeps us in that place of humble trust in him and contentment, but, but there are so many times I can look at my life and say, God, you definitely... You've blessed me more than I deserve, far more than I deserve. So today I want to tell you, it's okay to ask. In fact, Jesus tells us you can ask. You can even ask for things that seem mundane, physical things, things as simple as bread, clothing, food, job, hope, things that are just basic to life. And I don't know what your need is today, but some of you have come here in a place of poverty in an area of your life. And God sees that. He knows what your needs are. He doesn't want you to go crazy about it and worry about it. He says, trust me. I know what you need. I trust, uh, I see what you need. I want you to trust me because the sparrows do. Look what I do for them. Trust me. I can meet that need. But you have to come to me. Open wide your mouth. I'll fill it for you.